0: All right.
1: We're live. Um, we got a lot of interesting topics today. Joe Potter's here with me on Talk Shoes. So, can you hear each other? Kerm, Joey, just audio checking before we get started with the news and topics.
2: Yeah, yeah, I hear me. I hear you. Kerm. Yeah, I barely hear you, Joey. It'll probably be easier, Joey, if you can get on Anchor. Because I because I can barely hear you.
1: I'm putting the iPad down near the audio so to ensure better quality in terms of hearing. Can you hear me?
2: Oh yeah, I got I got I got you fine.
1: All right. Yeah, I can hear Kerms a lot better when you did that.
2: Yeah, I can hear Joey better better too.
1: Because my uh, because I have two hard drives on my computer and two. There's like these little tiny circles on the computer, and that's where the audio comes from. So I placed the iPad near the circles to ensure better quality of hearing. All right. On that note, we'll get started with some NFC East news to headline this podcast. We got Dan Snyder, and then we'll get into the winner of the Hard Knocks contest, an NFC East rival team of the Washington football team. But we'll get into the uh, Dan Snyder news with um, – him stepping down from day-to-day operations. He's still going to run the business operations, like providing the finances and expenses for the stadium. But you can tell there's a transition, and it just seems like his wife is going to take over the team. It kind of feels like when William Clay Ford died and his wife took over the team. Or if we want to get more um, technical, there was a show. I can't remember what show it was, but like an owner took over – the team, I can't remember... You know what? It's not... If I can't remember it from the top of my head, it's not worth getting into. Let's not get off topic with the analogies. Let's just stick with the Lions analogy because it's probably the most... Appro- most accurate... wouldn't say the most appropriate, but it's probably the closest thing we'll get to a transition because this is a transition. What happened with the Lions is William Clay Ford passed away and his wife took over the team. And with washington it's a completely different situation it's there's a transition from dan snyder to his wife running the day-to-day operations which means she would be in the league meetings dan will still take care of the expenses for the new stadium but she will be in the league meetings with the other 32 owners she will have that responsibility as well as And it was Joey who referred me to this article yesterday on Pro Football Talk, where I found out all the news and rumors. I even watched the video where Mike Florio went into details on some of the news involving Dan Snyder. So, how do you feel about well, this? The thing is, well, the thing is, this—if you read the one
0: piece where it says you will no longer be in charge of day-to-day operations—that's usually the NFL. I do not believe this was something he just said, okay, I'm giving up day-to-day operation. I think that's the NFL telling him, Look, you screwed up and you screwed up bad. You're lucky we're not taking the team from you. The only reason we're not is probably because your wife is 50 years. So, this is I think this is the NFL saying, Dan Sanders, your wife just saved your hat for being your wife. Okay? So, you stay with the. Business side of things, but you're not controlling
1: the team I think that's what happens. And I think ultimately the wife will become the majority owner of the team. But the NFL will wait until after the new stadium is complete to make that, that transition. I don't think they're gonna make that transition right away and out Snyder right now. They're gonna wait until he gets the finances for the new stadium. And they're either going to make a move then, or they're going to wait to see if Snyder can fix himself and save his ass. Because at this point, you just feel a transition of change is coming.
2: Is this my my belief? Is so, if it's like most states, he so already owns. So the already so already owns half the team because they're because it's half and half.
1: Yeah. So this time. be
2: the so, so be the face of it. The face of the of the, of the ownership group.
1: Yeah, that's my thinking as well. He'll still help put the funding together for the new stadium. He'll still be the co-owner, but she'll be the one in the meetings with Jerry Jones and Ursay and all the other 32 owners rather than him from this point forward.
2: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. If, if, for, if people are skeptical about that, let me just put it this way. Eddie DiBertolo was one of the best owners in the history of American sports. and He only owned his team for he only owned the 49ers for a handful of years. And they took the team from him, okay? So if they're going to take the team from him and give it to his nephew, what do you think they're going to do to somebody like Dan Snyder? They're just waiting for the
2: opportunity. Uh, I, I think I – because that's the first time I'm hearing this. I would really equate it to when Mo to when Bug suspended Hank K. Steinbrenner for for the year where his sons had to run the team. He still had control. And he still had interest and was the majority owner, but he had no say in the day to day operations. His sons did for that for that one year that he was We're suspended. Not, uh, with the Clippers, yeah. No, I think it's, I I think, I don't think it's as bad as Sterling.
1: No, I agree with Kurt, it's not as bad as what's happened. Because, no, but,
2: because Sterling had to sell. The thing is, it's like, he it's like, Snyder has
0: a, um, with a team that's basically a franchise that's just sexualized, you know, sexist and all that stuff here, where, you know, uh, Sterling was racist, so so you can
2: see me where I'm making the connection on. You know that, but uh, well, Snyder's sorry. not. Snyder's not losing. He's not losing his part of the franchise. He's just not the. He's just not going to be the public face. Snyder. I'm sorry, S- Sterling lost everything. Snyder's not. Well, I think it's, that, that's I, why I'm I mean, that's uh, why I'm creating it more to more to Hank Steinbrenner when he was a suspended by MLB from being the controlling interest of of the Yankees.
1: Yeah. I think what um, Joey's trying to say though, is that Dan Snyder has created a toxic environment beyond repair. And I can add on to that by saying one of the people I did the morning announcements with in high school, they had an internship with the Washington Redskins back in the day. And, it was so brutal. They were calling their mother crying after the internship. And yeah, Joey, you could call that person a cry, baby. But to be fair, they did not like the way Dan Snyder was running the team. They knew if they spoke out or said anything, they would get fired. And this was a female. So that's the other thing with um it's just the toxic environment Dan Snyder is creating. I mean you see Ron Rivera, you see all these influential figures coming in trying to repair the image, but I don't know how much you can repair at this point. What are you your closing thoughts on this? Because that's pretty much where I'm at. I just don't know how much you can repair with Dan Snyder's um, decision-making over the years. And it's not just that employee. It goes even further with the whole incident with the cheerleaders on the boat, and they were being accused of, like, sexual... They were accusing the team owners and front office people of sexual harassment, like the cheerleaders at some private company event or whatever, and there's zero place for that in the NFL. So I think they're trying to hold Snyder accountable for that.
0: Yeah, and you're yeah, right. It's like basically what I am getting at there is a, the creation of a toxic environment that uh, Dan Snyder has created, and I think it, you know, it is on the line of along the line. Maybe not as bad as, but, you know, what we did, because, you know, you can't have racism in teams. You can't have sexism in, you know, the organization. You know, you can't have all that. And I think the one thing that did save Snyder from the NFL just saying you're selling the team or taking the team from him is the fact that his wife is heavily was heavily involved in business operations. And now his wife, and so they were able to say, you're not running things anymore, Your wife is." You know, so I think, I think that's the one thing that saved him was that his wife was heavily involved. Because if his wife had been heavily involved in the business operations, then I don't think he would have the team right now. I think they would have taken it from him.
1: Yeah, I can agree with that to a point. Because it's along similar territory as the, um, I don't think it's as severe as the racism and the hateful remarks on um, Sterling Day, but it feels like it's on similar territory, whereas Sterling was code red. This feels like code yellow or code orange. Well, I think it's because Daniel Snyder is Donald
0: Sterling he did not try to apologize for anything. He did not, you know, say, this was taken out of context. Paul Sterling just Snyder is more, uh, he put the knife of faith on it. When you put a knife of faith on it, sometimes they said, okay, that is, he would say with Sterling, who was an 80-year-old man who was just like, screw it, I'm, I'm just you know, throwing it out there. You know, Snyder was, you know, like that hair, you know, trying kind of big red, you know, had that super shitty and suit. you know. And I think that, because I, I would call it yellow, I would call it orange. Because I would say, because I do take the fact that Snyder was able to put a nice, comfy gloss happy smile on it when there was really no happy lucky smile involved in any of the situations. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah. And I think blue and green are the lowest levels of the code scale. And then you have yellow at middle level, and then orange is right before red, and then red's the worst. And I, I was thinking orange at first, too, but I was considering yellow as well. But orange was more of the territory I was leaning towards as well, Joey. Yeah, and...
0: I don't think it can be – because the worst people at it, or the best people at it, depending on how you look at it, are the ones that can cover it up really well. Because like you said, this happened back in high school. So how long has he been doing this? Ten years? Twenty years? You know, how much of this is he?
1: Well, the person I went to high school with, we graduated in 2009. She worked during – her internship. She was a student at Pitt and Maryland. So she worked with Washington and she was calling her mother crying about the team, the way the team's running things, which means something shady was going down over the last 10 years in Washington. I don't know what. I even never entered the building, so I can't speak for personal experience, but something's going down. That also makes
0: me think you know, Dan Snyder, you know, not only engaged, but how deep does the rabbit hole go to, you know, with him? Was it, you know, a cheerleader, you know, was it a central crash? like for thinking. Was he personally, you know, doing stuff with interns? Was, you know, was there more to it? Was there, you know, now, because what this does, it opens the rabbit hole. And now everybody's just going to say, okay, let's see how far the battle goes and how involved. Not just considering the environment, how far did it go and how involved did Dan Snyder with it? That's basically what this comes down to now. When, when it opens up and there's a punishment, now everybody's saying, how far does it go? What are they doing? And how far was the now former. Basically, chief operating officer, and Dan Snyder, the one who takes care of day to day business operations. How involved was he not only in fostering it, but how involved was he in actually doing it? That's where the rabbit hole is going now. Now that's what's important.
1: Yeah. And I am not so, sure how long is going to remain I, with the team. I can't really say if he turns it around, his behavior around between now and when the new stadium opens, then, yeah, I think he'll stick around. But if he doesn't, if he has one more slip-up, he's gone. And I could also see them getting rid of Snyder after the new stadium is done. Like, that would be his last act before they fully transition to the wife running the team. Because she's going to be running the day-to-day operations from now on. Yeah, because they could take the
0: team from him and give it to her. Because if, I, I don't think... Yeah, there was no report that she was involved in it. So yeah. She's not even down the rabbit hole. She's just
1: the rabbit hole I just feel like the NFL is waiting for Snyder to put the finances together for the new stadium, and then they're going to take the team from him and give it to the wife. Because that's really I, the only reason to that. keep Snyder on board at this point. I can see that,
0: because he is a sleazy business. So, you know, they may say, you want to keep the team in Washington? So let's give the sleazy businessman a chance to be a sleazy businessman and get his money
1: for the team. So that is a very real possibility. Because that's really the only thing I can see them keeping Snyder around for is to get the money for the new stadium and be the sleazy businessman and then they'll turn the team over to the wife or he'll stay on his co-owner but he'll have no responsibilities within the team and at that point he become expendable.
0: Yeah, because well, you know, that's the thing about the situation. It's like okay, they're married, so it's like if yeah, the only thing they can really do if they're gonna go that route is to say so you have you no know, more, say, if up there in a press box and your wife's a press box and she's gonna do, make all the decisions, be at all the meetings. Anything confidential you're not gonna know about it. And, you know. You're going to sit there like a nice little poster boy. You're going to be the, uh, like, when Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen are in uh, Europe, Tom Brady's the eye candy. So they're going to be like, man, you're now eye candy. Okay? Yeah, it's like, you are the Tom Brady to Giselle. Because Giselle's
1: the star, And she makes, That's like, ten times as much as Tom thing. makes. She does. She makes, like, ten times oh, as yeah. much as Tom Brady makes.
0: Oh, yeah. I Yeah, she's, she's a, she's one of the biggest supermodels on the planet. Yeah. You go to Europe or anything, Tom Brady's like, hey, look at that. She's got some good eye candy, you know. Here, you know, Tom Brady's a big thing. Anywhere else in the world, yeah, Giselle's the thing. And that's what Dan Snyder's going to be. Dan Snyder's going to be the eye candy for his wife. That's what it's going to turn out be. Yeah. It's all because he couldn't. I'm I'm not going to go through that thought, but yeah, it's all because he fostered this situation. It's
1: all of his own good. Yeah. The only question now is how
0: involved was he in everything? Because believe me, this story isn't going away until everything is out. And once it's out, It's going to hurt a lot of people, because there are a lot of people that were involved in it, from top to bottom, but it's going to come out, and when it does, there's probably going to be hell to pay. The only question is, how much hell is Dan Snyder going to be in with that situation?
1: Yep, that's pretty much the only thing left at this point. Um... Let's transition to the next topic. The uh, one of Washington's NFC East rivals is going to be the host of Hard Knocks this year, 20th year of Hard Knocks. And spoiler alert, it's Kerm's team, the Dallas Cowboys. They are going to be the team on Hard Knocks. And it's funny because yesterday afternoon, Benjamin Albright was leaking a tweet saying that the Broncos might be hosting Hard Knocks. But that report, I don't know if that turned out to be false because there was like a – it was on a Reddit thread – some guy on a Reddit thread was saying that the Broncos were going to host Hard Knocks, and Albright leaked the tweet. And then a few hours later, the NFL announced that the Cowboys were hosting Hard Knocks. So
2: uh, the Cowboys were the Cowboys were one of five teams that could have been they forced their host to host Hard Knocks because hadn't been on the show, in, I think the last five the qualification guys not on the show the last five years. You didn't make the playoffs, and you're not. You don't have a first year head head coach. They just one of five teams, yeah. To, yeah. so they could have been chosen to those to be a hard knocks
1: for the Senior Bowl too. Those are the same qualifications for being co- a coach in the Senior Bowl too. Not make the playoffs, have a returning coach.
2: From from what I, from what I read years ago, I don't know if they changed it or not. But now the coaches of the Senior Bowl are the two losing ASC and NSC title coaches.
1: No, that's not true because they haven't had a playoff coach. It's they. It's the two worst coaches that retain their jobs. But last year, due to COVID, it was the yeah. Dolphins and the Panthers.
2: Hey, maybe that maybe that's the Pro Bowl coach, coaching in. Then it's the two losing coaches. That's because it's the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Hey, I had I had it separated. Yeah, But uh, let's face it, what other storylines do you have?
1: I mean, hard with not- Dallas, you
2: got you got normal storylines with Dallas with Dak coming. The Cowboys, for one, that's always a storyline. And then you have the Dak Dak Prescott coming back from the injury. So there is no better storylines.
1: Yeah, you've got Dak coming back from an injury. You've got McCarthy in the um, McCarthy in his second year as head coach. Okay, so Dallas, um, Leah Schreiber, the guy who plays Ray Donovan, he's the Hard Knocks narrator. Um, but yeah, the Cowboys were on seasons two, season four, so they've been on Hard Knocks three times now. They have been on Hard Knocks more than any other team in the NFL. They were on Season 2 in 2002 and Season 4 in 2008. Because after Season 2 in 2002, they took a five-year hiatus from Hard Knocks. And then they brought the show back in 2007. Yeah, and this was the 2002 Cowboys when they had Dave Campo and Quincy Carter... The 2008 they had pac-man jones reinstatement they had um tony i think that was the year they had bledsoe and romo maybe they transitioned to romo in 2007 so they had romo they had felix jones the rookie and i think wade phillips is coaching that teams and now you have jack prescott on hard knock so yeah it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with McCarthy on hard knocks because McCarthy, I don't think McCarthy was ever on hard knocks with the Packers. No, the Packers were never on hard knocks under Mike McCarthy. So the, the Jets were when they had Brett Favre. And oh, wait, that that was Mark Sanchez, not Brett Favre. But that's the point. They had Mark Sanchez on hard knocks the year they went to the AFC title game with Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez. So. I mean, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen with Dak Prescott. They're going to have their offensive line back at full health. They've revamped the defense in the draft. I'm really curious to see how the Cowboys come into this situation because I think it's one of the better teams on hard knocks that they have covered in terms of overall talent on the roster. I don't know. Yep, because they had the Rams and Chargers on last year. Um, the Rams made the playoffs. The Chargers didn't, but they had the rookie of the year in Herbert. So, we'll see what happens because you're going to see what Ezekiel Elliott can do. You're going to see what Dak can do. You're going to see what this offensive line in Full Health can do. And injuries really plagued the Cowboys last year. So, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen on what kind of dynamic these coaches are going to show. Because Dan Quinn came in after Dan Quinn got fired from Atlanta. Dallas brought Dan Quinn on as their defensive coordinator. So you're going to have McCarthy on offense. You're going to have Talon Moore calling the plays on offense. And you're going to have Dan Quinn calling the plays on defense. And Moore's going to be in year two as his offensive coordinator. He, called the, he began to call the plays last year. He's going to be in that second – I think his third year as offensive coordinator and his second year calling plays under McCarthy. So we're really going to see what type of rapport Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn have as coordinators with these players. And I'm really curious to see the dynamic. Any thoughts on this, Joey, before we transition into some other topics? I never
0: really paid too much attention to Hard Knocks. Um, Even when the Browns were on, I never really paid Close attention. And
1: that, that was during was Baker's long rookie long. year a few years ago.
0: Yeah, and and the only thing I paid attention to there was uh, how dysfunctional Hugh Jackson was, and how uncomfortable he made the number one overall pick. Uh, which you know it, it was just a terrible thing, you know, a terrible terrible situation. But from what I understand, it made for good television. But I've never really paid attention to hard knocks. As far as Kellen Moore goes, um, I think Kellen Moore's going to be fine. Uh, He's a smart guy. This is his first coordinating job. Like, you don't just – you aren't just born a coordinator. You know, it's like, yay, I know everything. No, just let him – you know, he has to grow into the position. You know, so, you know. Let them grow into it. This is the second year;
2: it's the improvement on last year, so I'm, I'm not too worried on that. Yeah, something that hard knocks has always gotten beat over the bush over. From what I've read, is that they try to trivialize the the young men who who are who are cut during during the process of of, of training camp. They put too much emphasis. Emphasis on them, on those, you know, know, fifty through, you know, forty-five through sixty players that are on that spot of the roster who barely make it or don't make it at all.
1: Yeah, they they don't really pay much attention to the first string and second string guys
0: those 25 through 60 players are usually the ones who, they don't have anything to lose. So they come in, they're loose, they're, you know, they're happy, they're entertaining, they're there, you know, they're getting their opportunity, you know, and a lot of them are trying to be rotational players. So they're just, you know, trying to blend in with the environment and work their tails off rather than, all right, I'm the star, I'm going to,
2: that's not starters, but uh, I've got to put what's at the front, you know, leadership and yeah. all that, so yeah, they, 25 to 60 guys are usually the most entertaining because they have none of that pressure. Because so, yeah, they're like, usually uh, your, like you said, like, rotational or only special teams guys at that point. And
0: there's nothing wrong with the special teams guys, you know, but like, they're it's like, with the Browns, it's like, here's one of the most entertaining guys on the Browns team. They're freaking punter. It's like, you can, you know, you can do an entire Hard Knocks episode simply on the Scottish Hammer. I mean, you know, and for the special teams, guys, Yeah, hey, we just go down and kick people's asses. We just kick them all far and everything, you know. But they're, they're kind of, you know, the NFL's equivalent to a hit squad. So they're going to be having fun.
2: They're gonna be working their toes and they're gonna be having fun. Good TV. And sometimes your special team players have the longest careers, like your punters, kickers, and long kick snappers.
0: There was one guy, uh, I forget who it was, he was on the Browns for some ten years. Did not play he was hadn't played defense, but never played defense. In the league, and then went after he left Brown, he went somewhere else and played another five years. Basically, because he was one of the best special teams players in the league. So if he took like two teams his entire career for 15 years. It's, I mean, if you are good at special teams, and if you're one of the best at special teams, you'll
2: always have a job. Yeah, hey, well, well since we're talking good. about... Um, this... He's
0: one of the best returns in the league. but it comes not return, but uh, yeah, he was on the kickoff team. You know, going
2: down, getting a hat on the ball. He's of the best in the league for almost 15 years. <laughs> like. Well, since we're talking Cowboys, since they're the Hard Knocks team this year, and we're talking about special teams, this will be the first year in 12 or 13 that they'll have a different long kick snapper. As they did, re sign L.P. lennon who was the long-time entrenched long-cake snapper. But they let him they let him walk in free I'm, agency.
0: Yeah, I forgot. Uh, did they uh the long cap long time long cap or did
2: he uh, what, did his contract just expire? Expired and he and he and he wasn't re signed. Yeah, because 'cause I'd forgotten all about that. But
0: yeah, that's that's definitely a, a story because if you're not good with your snapper, I mean, look look back to the Brown Steelers game, you know. Like I know County doesn't make that many mistakes, but you snapping it five yards and it might as well have been he might as well have been snapping for a punt. First play of the playoff game, it went straight into the end zone. So anything any and that's, snapping, it, and that's it that's important.
2: Incredibly no, that's why most of the time your long snapper is not your normal center. Yeah. Cause it is a it is a different That's skill like it is a different skill skill set, especially at that level. Oh yeah.
0: It's like I, I did long snapping for a while and I'll tell you, the way they hold everything from the way they hold the ball to the way they snap the ball. Like like you're snapping on the center, you don't go back snapping, or even if you're in a uh, the shotgun snap, your feet go back, because you got to get that torque, and, you know, that is, you know, depending on how, you know, a quarterback is, like, if you're a punter, you're back 15, or if you're a Ben burger, I think, uh, Chris, you might know more about this, he stands, like, seven yards back. Or
2: five, yeah. I know. Depending on the. Uh, yeah, I think it's short. You know, I five think it's. Yeah, I think a shotgun snap is five yards back. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but for but for an extra point or field goal, those are ten yards back from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I try not to think about that
0: one. Um, So, yeah, so snapping anything when the quarterback is not in the center, any of those long snappers is vitally important, whether it's a regular center that's long snapping or a specialized long snapper. If they they mess up, then everything is gone. Even if they mess up the hold on the ball, as it is because, you know, the whole difference is incredibly different when it comes to, you know, long staff. You have to have both hands. The ball has to be on the side. Well, so, that middle finger of one seam, middle finger of the other seam, uh, it is on top, one on the side. It is. Uh, It's an interesting interesting skill, but it's a difficult skill. Even if you're long snapping, if you want to center, you're long snapping to the shotgun, the handling is a little different. Obviously, the (laughs) ball is a little bit different. Look at the feet. Their feet are quite different. And that is all because of how the because you have to get it back you have to get it back quick and you have to have a far more firm grip on it like you make a little mistake when you sit the quarterback from the center his hands are still in position to potentially get it you make a little mistake when he's not in the center oh that's not going to turn out well you know like, or on a field goal hey we have to the Romo snap from the field goal, you
2: know, not a perfect snap, but he's lumbering. not a perfect hold. Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, that snapper has to be perfect, because they released, uh, they, they didn't resign a really good one, so I'm interested, that's one thing now I'm interested to see, is
1: there somebody of that caliber at such a total position that people really don't think of this? That's going to be one that you have to look at. Alright, I do have some other news I want to get to here. Um, I'm not going to talk about the Stanley Cup. That was brutal. The Lightning won that game 6-3. to three. Um I am going to talk about... The nhl resigning and maybe a trade after that but joel erickson x got an eight year 42 million dollar extension with the minnesota wild 19 goals 11 assists 30 points you would think that point total offensively is not enough to warrant a contract this big but he offensive forwards and hits with 101 and that's really why i think they gave him just enough money to keep him around. They only gave him $5.25 million over eight years to add up the $42 million. So while someone like Joey would argue they slightly overpaid him, I don't think they overpaid him that much because if he had a career high in goals, assist points, and he had 101 hits, which is fourth among forwards in the NHL, I think you can warrant the contract at that point because Erickson, X only 24, 2015 first-round pick, and I think that's a fair number to pay him without, like, overpaying well, You also have to look
0: at the team. You, know, um, you know, these young teams, you know, if they have, you know, they haven't really been winning as much, you know, you're going to have to, like, we always really you guys to, you know, make
1: sure they stay, or to bring them in. You well, know? Minnesota made the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs in 2019-2020, but they did make the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs, and they were able to push the Vegas Golden Knights to seven games, despite losing the series. So, I mean, so, they
0: missed the playoffs two years, okay, I can see quite over paper because when's the next time they're going to make the playoffs? You know, it's like, it's not exactly like they have a great track record of over the last five, six years of making the business. You know? Yeah. And once that happens and they make plans up here, then they won't have to slightly overpay for people who have one career here. And, you know, hopefully, you know,
1: we justify it. And Minnesota's got a lot of young prospects in their farm system. And they've got two first-round picks this year, including the first-round pick from the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Jason Zucker trade. So, yeah,
0: that doesn't make it a little more sticky if they believe this guy's a feature of the franchise. Okay. Because, you know, with the Cleveland Indians, it's like they won't
2: ever pay anybody because... Let's face it, they've got the best farm system in
0: baseball. Why are they gonna ever pay somebody when they can just recruit and take these into the lineup
1: every couple of I years? I think if he had wanted you know, six million or seven million they would have let him walk. But because he only wanted five point two five million over eight years, they were like, you know what? Since you were top five in hits this year and you had a career year, we'll give you a shot. Yeah,
0: they they could justify it. Yeah. And You know, a lot of times, like, the big thing is, though, you don't want to have to put effort into justifying. So if you're reaching for it to justify it, then there's an issue. But if you're just, you know, if it's plain as day on the justification, okay, yeah, like you said, we'll give you a shot. You know, and plus, we don't know what else was in that contract. Uh, How many incentives were there? How? It's like a, a second contract. Loaded well, when the Giants. I give the Giants credit because they put in those in That contract was front-loaded. So these last few years with Odell and the Browns, they can cut him at any time because
1: there's no dead cap It is just fifteen million that he's want. Well, he's because a restricted free agent. He was not an unrestricted free agent. He was a restricted free agent. So if a team had made him a bigger okay. offer, the okay. Wild could have matched that. The Wild could have matched that without. Yeah, so
0: I, I got you, yeah, because I, I thought you we were talking about unrestricted restructuring and such, so okay, so that's, that's a little different then. Uh, but, yeah, it's, as long as it's justified, and I would like to see what else is in it, because if it's front-loaded, like a lot of NFL teams are starting to do these days, you know, then, you know, then it could make a lot more sense for the team because, yeah, he's getting his money, but we can get out of this contract a lot, too. You know what I mean? So, it, Cause,
2: well, it, it, Considering it, he was a restricted free agent, it's probably not front loaded at all. It's probably even split. Yeah, because yeah, the restricted free agency thing, the one thing I've always noticed is that the
0: restricted free agency thing is more light-up in negotiation. But on a restricted free agency thing, in all sports, it's more like the other team's doing the negotiating for you. And if you want to match it, you can match it. But it's basically the other team doing the majority of the work for you. Which is, that's what I'm saying, because I would take a deal for a uh, extension. I was thinking the Odell Beckham thing and how that contract went out. So with a restricted thing, a to to
1: an yeah, and Erickson Eck does not have a no-movement clause or a modified no-trade clause or a no-trade clause attached to his contract. He is the highest-paid center on the team, but this is sort of a team-friendly deal. There's two wingers that are making more money than him. There's at least um, four defensemen that are getting more money than Erickson Eck, and the Wild only protect three from the expansion draft. So... I'm really interested to see what they're going to do here.
2: No, they can. I, I was expecting, It'd uh, be the same rules. Something in there with that kind of contract where he got a little. There'd be something in there for him to have a little bit more control over. That. So that's a little bit of life. Yeah. If I, re- if I remember from when Vegas had their expansion draft, I'd, re- I'd look at the rules to make sure. But I believe it's nine forwards. Six defensemen and a goalie, they can they can protect, it's, or or it's fifteen total skaters and a goalie.
1: Yeah, it's fifteen skaters and a goalie. Um, I think they modified it this year for Seattle, though only seven no, forwards. Um, three but because they go goal one goalie.
2: because they said they when 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 Seattle was approved to have a team, they would have the same expansion draft rules. As Vegas did.
1: But I've done some expansion draft simulators on cap friendly and over the cap. And I, I noticed that they only allow you to protect up to seven forwards. That's your first two lines of forwards and maybe a third line player that you really like on the back six. Three of your top six defensemen and one of your two goalies. Those are the only players you're allowed to protect. And everybody else is fair game for the expansion team.
2: I'm looking up the expression draft now.
1: And that is on July 21st, two days before the 2021 NHL entry draft. And on that note, I'll get to the final. Um, NA- I've got two more NHL news stories. One involves a Victor Arvidsson. He got traded to um, the Los Angeles Kings. The National Predators' second-line right winger has been traded to Los Angeles for a 2021 third-round pick and a 2022 second-round pick. So, in 2022 is a pretty deep draft. I've already gone through, like, the top 48, top 54 players in that draft. You've got a bunch of first-line, second-line players in that first two rounds of next year's draft. So, I think the Predators getting a player with that second-round pick for the Kings is pretty big deal. Now, the third-round yeah, pick— that, that move kind of does surprise me a little bit, because that— Oh, wait. It's a 2021 second. Correction, Joey. Correction. It's a 2021 second round pick and a 2022 third round pick. So that makes it a little more fair because next year's draft's much deeper than this one. Yeah, because I was going to say, it's like, we already
0: talked about 2022, so they're going to skip around for 2022 on that. That's like, I was like, okay, that's that's surprising because that's not something that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so it was a 2021 second and a 2022 third, but 40 pick in this year's draft. Just maybe a top 40 pick because the first 31 teams are picking, and the Kings pick eighth. In the draft order, so 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39. So that's either 39 or 40 going to Nashville in this year's draft. So, yeah. And I think we're going to see more trades in this draft because you look at next year's draft, it's way deeper than this year's draft. And if you've got a team like Columbus that has three first-round picks this year but they may not have a 1st router in 2022, they might try to trade one or two of those picks this year to get a pick next year. If the draft is deeper, and,
0: and I'm and I'm alright with that because something this year is that the in upcoming draft is not deep in any position, so in a year, in a year, it's
1: Yeah, because you've got as many as 30 first-line players in next year's NHL draft, which is more than you had in 2020. So it's going to be really deep in the first round of the NHL draft. Whereas this year, you've got like maybe two to five first-line players in the entire first round, and then the rest of the draft is second and third-line players getting pushed up the boards in the first round of the draft.
0: by saying, well, why are people trading up in the NFL? Well, that was because the NFL draft is do I a mean, top Yes, it was even a few positions, but the overall, the overall draft is going to be better next year. Even better than the
1: one year position round. this 2022 is weak at. 2021 NHL Draft is strong at goalie. You have two first-round goalies that check off all 10 boxes. And you have a few other goalies that check off eight to nine boxes. I have three goalies with first-round grades, But the point is, next year's NHL Draft does not have a single goalie projected to go in the top 50, let alone the first two rounds of the draft. All the goalies that are projected to go in the late second round of next year's draft have save percentages but below 900. And they're awful. So, I think we could see teams trade up for goalies in this draft, too. I think that's the other thing. Because if this goalie draft is much stronger, you're looking at maybe two or three first-round goalies this year, whereas next year you don't have a single goalie projected to go in the top 60 picks. I think that's going to drive the value for the goalies up in this draft the way the value for the quarterbacks was driven up in this year's NFL draft.
2: Yeah, and I think. Yeah, but-
1: Here's the thing that I'm gonna look at we were talking last year about Vegas of their uh, And that's um, the only way they can re-sign Alec Martinez. Like very up. good defenseman on the Vegas Golden Knights who won two Stanley Cups with the LA Kings. And he had a great year this year, but he's an unrestricted free agent. The only way you'll have enough money to re-sign well, him is if you trade one of the goalies.
2: No. Uh, Hey Joey.
0: So that you the get only one of the and trade back in the draft and get more capital so that they can take another goalie. So you know you are really in a position if you're Vegas that you can manipulate that draft not only through the draft pick but through the players and also
1: potentially get that top 2022 this yeah, Benjamin hey, Godro was five and 192 goals against average at the World Junior Championships this year. I have him at number fifteen on my big board, but he's a consensus second round pick. So Vegas could get Godro and trade one of their goalies at 30 and put Godro in their system and develop him for a few years.
2: Hey Joey, the only golden knights Go ahead, Jerry. the only the only goalie knights goalie that last summer that was on the trade block was a Flurry. Who ended up winning, who ended up winning his first best, what, He was the only goalie on, on the block last year. He on the block last year? Yeah, nobody glory. He,
0: oh, he was Yeah. Oh.
2: Yeah, I, I thought they just didn't trade
1: him. Oh, that's an
0: interesting situation. They, you know, uh,
2: they didn't get the value that they wanted for him.
0: Yeah, you can also look at, I don't know, the contract situation. Maybe he was making more money that year, and he's not going to be making as much money this year. So they feel that they, other teams feel that they can get him this year when they really need him in a low, uh, in a bad goalie class. We yeah. have
1: 2022 is a bad goalie class, whereas 2021 is a good goalie class. So that's the thing. 2022, as strong as 2022 is, it's a weak goalie group in 2022, and it's a strong goalie group this year. So I think you got, if you got six players that are all-star players, and you got two goalies to check off all ten boxes, I would look at any pick in the top ten is valuable this year, and then after that, that's when the value in the picks. Begins to drop off.
0: Yeah, so it. I mean, this is, this is an interesting situation we've got going on. Here. I don't just think it's an interesting situation for the NHL. It's, not, it's an interesting situation in professional sports for this year as a whole when it comes to the draft because so I think, you know, I think there are going to be a lot of teams jockeying in all these major sports.
1: Or yeah, because so, like, NHL is going to be deep in out. 2022 and 2023. They're already talking about um, Connor Bedard, the consensus number one pick in 2023. And there's a Russian skater in 2023 that's comparable to Ovechkin. And Bedard's drawing Crosby comps. So they're they're saying that Bedard and the Russian guy could be the new era, new version of Crosby and Ovechkin when they retire. So if 2022 and 2023 both have more value than 2021,
2: <laughs>
1: that's going to drive the value of the picks in this draft down. Here's the other thing I've got um, on Flurry. Flurry enters the final year of his contract. He is an unrestricted free agent next offseason, whereas they have Leonard under contract until 2025-2026. Flurry has a modified no trade clause meaning that he will not be traded unless he approves the trade so the team that trades for flurry would have to get Flurry's stamp of approval
2: yep, that's that same thing he, he had in Pittsburgh yep. and in Pittsburgh he had a full no trade clause he had he to be, a no he had to, clause. yeah he had to agree to be uh, exposed to the expansion draft. Which a with if was given how far it was with Pittsburgh, if uh, if they if the team trades for him wants to, he'll probably have no problem moving. Yeah, see, I, got, I
1: bought the Hockey news magazine, the draft preview yesterday and the only players, um Brayden McNabb, the Kings um player from the expansion draft and um Raiden McNabb, William Carlson from Columbus, and Marc Andre Fleury from Pittsburgh. Those are the three players that are still on the Vegas Golden Knights from that expansion draft. Everybody else has been moved or is no longer on the team. I mean, you've got Mark. Yeah, so those are really the three signature players Vegas got from the expansion draft. Carlson, Fleury. Um, they also got, I think, Shay Fedor. In a trade, when they they took Clayton Stoner in the expansion draft, they were able to get a draft pick and Shay Theodore in the trade because the Ducks wanted Vegas to take Clayton Stoner, so they threw in Theodore. And those are really the signature players they got from that trade. But I got one more storyline in the NHL. Then we'll move on to the next topic. Buffalo Sabers. They have they have the number one pick in this year's NHL draft. They have not interviewed Owen Power or Matt Beneers, the projected top two picks in this draft. They've not interviewed either player yet. And here, that, that, that's it. One player they're rumored to have a lot of interest in is William Eklund from Sweden, who um, they actually not spoke with Power or Beneers yet. So that's a little curveball in this year's NHL draft because Power is the consensus number one player. And... The fact that the Buffalo Sabres haven't interviewed him or Veneers and the fact that both Power and Beniers said they're open to returning to Michigan rather than signing their NHL contracts and going straight to the NHL. That bodes very well for the Michigan Wolverines who made the NCAA tournament but were denied a Frozen Four tournament appearance due to their team having COVID. So Michigan getting their two best players back, top two picks in the NHL draft, getting them both back next season would be huge for the Wolverines hockey program.
0: And be, uh, the has the number one pick, correct? Right?
1: Yes, and they have not interviewed the number one or number two player in the draft.
0: Okay, because so that tells me straight up that the they probably know something that we don't. Know. And they probably have people who are telling them, hey, these guys are going to get back. You know, so. and. Now, if
2: their people are wrong, they're going to be scrambling to do makeup stuff. But if their people are right, that tells me that their people are saying these guys are going back. Don't even bother. Or some, or something else, Joey? It could be. Can see what it does. could be that the team is telling those players, "You're not ready to play to play yet. You would do better with another full season in college rather than coming on coming on to the pros." where you would be in the AHL the whole the whole year or possibly even or possibly even the ECHL. You would get better con better quality of con facing other college kids. Yeah, that is a possibility and uh, another possibility you know, with a lot of things that's happened over the last couple of years, these guys could feel like
0: anyway the killed them. So they may be saying, we're going to go, we're going to go back, we're going to go to the first four, and because we got cheated, our school got cheated, everyone got
1: cheated, so we're going to go back. And when we get back, that's what we're going to make our uh, – And Luke Hughes, a top five pick on the United States United National, National Team Developmental Program. He has a hockey scholarship to Michigan next year, too. So your potent, if he goes fourth overall, he goes in the top five, you're looking at potentially three of the top five picks in this year's NHL draft on Michigan's hockey program next year.
2: No different than when they, they were in Boston College and Boston University had a lot of, a lot of NHL draft, draft picks on on their team.
1: Yeah, Eichel made the NHL right away. But Jake Ottinger went back to Boston University for a few years as a goalie. So did Thatcher Demko.
2: And yeah, I guess Eichel, I Eichel played in college for a year he after he, he was did. after he was drafted.
1: I believe he went to the Sabers right away, but I'll double check right now.
2: No, he was drafted and then played for Boston College for a year, and then he and then he went to the Sabers.
1: I thought he went to the NHL right away, but I'm going to double-check that right now because I think he was—he went to Boston University, won the Holby Baker there. And yeah. Eichel's one of the players that they're considering actually—he um, uh, he will play 81 games in 2015-2016 after being drafted second overall by the Sabres. So he signed right away as a rookie. He had 71 points as a freshman and won the Holby Baker Award as a true freshman, so— that's why he didn't need to go back to college. He was already ready at the time. But, yeah.
0: And, yeah, I I didn't know that he
2: um, could uh, still get drafted and play another year in college in the NHL.
0: Cause yeah, like, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Last I can remember doing that and- Professional sports was uh, Larry Bird, he was drafted by the Celtics one year, went back to Indiana State and uh, played a the Final Four with Indiana State. It's the only time
1: Indiana State was ever good at anything, you know. And then signed his contract with the Celtics. So, no, Joey. Last time I heard anything about that. If you so play it. hockey I... in the CHL, you pretty much have to sign your NHL entry deal by the time you turn twenty. But if you play in the USHL and then take a hockey scholarship in, in the NCAA, you can go to college, you can graduate, and then you can sign your NHL deal.
2: Now, Joey, when you're, when you're drafted by an NHL team at 18, you have four years to sign your entry-level contract.
1: If you go the USHL route. If you go the CHL route. You
2: no, have that's, that's all NHL no,
1: contracts. No, two years. CHL you have until you're 20. NHL. If you go
2: the USHL route or any other route, you have up to four years to sign. No, no. The way the 20, 20 is when you age, age out of the CHL co- competition. Yeah, the teams still have your rights, and for four years, you just can't play for your CHL team. Yeah. you have to either go overseas, or or play in a or play in a minor or play in the USHL or below. Or the NHL. The NHL in the
1: team does not sign a CHL player by the time they turn twenty. That player can re-enter the NHL draft. That's a rule. If they want to, they can re-enter the draft. If they, but if you're a first, second, third round pick, you usually get signed. By the time
2: I, up. I don't believe so, Chris. I, I feel like you have to have a law degree to enter the NHL right now because they're.
0: they're the NHL is, has so much crap. You know, it's like there is no one size fits all like it is there. Like, you have
2: to be a couple of lead to figure out what the hell you're gonna do at this point. Not if you're not if you're a, a North American player. Yeah, the big Wolves mainly come into effect. For your for your European players.
1: Yeah, and you look at the NBA now. We'll transition from the NHL to the NBA because we pretty much ran the course with our NHL topics. Um, NBA news with Try Young and Giannis. Suns are in the NBA finals, but. Can Atlanta or Milwaukee win the NBA Finals without Trae Young or Giannis? I say no because those are the two best players on Atlanta and Milwaukee, and they're both injured right now. And the Suns, they're getting rest, and they have home court in the Finals. And it was Joey who picked the Suns over the Bucks in seven games prior to the start of the NBA playoffs. Did the Bucks win, or did they get
0: eliminated?
1: They are up 3-2. to two. Game 6 is tonight, and Giannis is out for tonight, but Trot Young is listed as questionable for tonight. But Game 6 is in Atlanta. Game 7 will be in Milwaukee. And if
0: the uh, Bucks win, Giannis should, because I didn't know what his he uh, is actually diagnosed with, with his injury. I didn't get to follow up on it, but he would be
1: eligible for the um, finals. Yeah, he's out for this series, but he should be back for the NBA Finals. So if the wraps up tonight, and
0: everything else will
1: fall into place. Yeah, and it does not start until July 8th. So the NBA Finals don't until this coming Thursday. I, I believe that's the uh, date the NBA Finals would start. And Game 6 is tonight. And then after Game 6, you have... Um, game 7 would be on Monday. And then the Finals would start on Thursday, I believe.
0: Yeah, and the and this is what the NBA needs, is the NBA needs to win this game. That's what I said at the beginning. Before the playoffs started, I will reiterate it. The Bucs to win the series. Marcus said they should probably win tonight and give them a little bit of rest because the so, so one game I saw in the series, uh, it's been a really tough series. So they, they need to rest a little bit. So, you know, they need to win this game. Uh, the NBA needs them to win this game.
1: Because if they go in to Phoenix on short rest without Giannis, I think the Suns can win the series in maybe six games instead of seven. But I think if Giannis is playing, they have a shot to force seven games, and they have a shot to win in seven. I mean, it was a coin flip decision between Joey with the Suns and the Bucks for it to be a series in the NBA Finals. It took the Suns, but barely by the slimmest of margins. And the NBA needs a series like that in order to get their viewership back as a league. They need a finals of that caliber. Yeah, because
0: yeah, remember, I, right now, the NBA is fortunate because they do have the uh, yeah, they do have the marketing deals, but remember the last time the NBA was at this low point in its history were there anybody who Take it for, you know, for what I said or not. The NBA
2: finals not keep the list. The NBA did not have the your PS4 win back win and everything.
0: They finals is, they didn't have all this. They did not have,
1: you know. They're the saying game winners. one will be Tuesday if the Bucs win tonight. It'll be Thursday if the Hawks win tonight. So game one will be Tuesday if the Bucs win tonight. It'll be Thursday if the Hawks win. And, and, and
0: um, you know, it took Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and their to be the NBA out before. But what I said before, you know, it will take a rivalry such uh, as beyond and you know, one of those Suns guards will to release all the out, but this will have to be a you know with Magic and Bird it was eight out of ten years. That's going to have to be a thing. So the Bucs to have to keep up, and the are going to have to maintain. That's they do, and if this is the start of it, then you're looking at, potentially, you know, one of the things that potentially pulled the NBA out of the funk that has finished over the last decade where, hey, I can run faster, run faster, and run over top of the team because they're all just going to move out of the way. Which is a horrible way to play basketball. But that's literally what the NBA has evolved into. Yeah. I think Giannis is the best player in the game. Right now Because he's the best mid-range shooter. He's the best down low. He can't shoot long. He really doesn't do it that often. He can't shoot the long range. Shot. He is, I think he has the most interesting paint since in the playoffs since Chicago in 2001, 2002. You know, he is the most complete player in the NBA. And I think that the NBA can be in, in that spotlight.
2: They
1: do. And I think we'll see the Bucks. And next year will be interesting in the NBA because. The Bucs have a lot of long-term stability. They have a lot of players under contract long-term, whereas the Brooklyn Nets, they put all their eggs into winning the NBA championship this year because the Bucks knocked out the Nets. Now it's like the, the Bucs are probably going to be a team that we see in the NBA Finals on a free Unless the Nets can keep everyone that they have. Yeah, and
0: I would be Right now, that are probably the best team in the yeah, NBA. You're headphones against Harvard, knowing exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. And, and things like, hey, this will play back, which these other teams do not play. Yes, they are hurt. So it's probably going to get the NBA final to be a battle of back. And, Everybody says, you can't win anymore playing that style. And they're probably going to win. They have the mid-range. They start from the mid-range game. And they the mid-range game it doesn't matter anymore. Except the bus are about to go to the NBA Finals. Uh, they were down low. You can't win that way anymore. you got to shoot three all the time. That way. Well, the are about to go to the NBA Finals. Um, And you shoot the three when it's open. Get a good shot out. No, you can't win that way. You have to shoot the three all the time. You have to run over top of people and make them get out of your way all the time because that's just the way it goes. And that is, you can't win in the NBA
2: unless you do that. The fuck's about to win in the NBA? You know? Hey, Joey. I actually, I, I, got this from Nate the Alabama head coach. The majority way of thinking nowadays, which makes sense if you go by point for point procession. He broke it down mathematically because he was a he was a math teacher while he was while he was a high school coach. His thing he wants to do a layup shot first, free throw second, the three-point play third, and then the mid-range triple last. Because you get more points per possession math- mathematically by doing a three-point play percentage-wise. First, and then if you do a mid-range jumper, if you do a mid-range jumper, it's like 0.9 points a possession, and and if you do a three-point a three-pointer, it's 1.2 points per a possession. Now that is in college, but that's why he 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 wants a three-pointer more than a mid-range jumper. Well, here's the thing with that curve. You know, you
0: can have to, you can take as many three-pointers as you want. Former but am
2: podcast. You're a team. i the podcast. Your team, you your son, podcast 60, well, you're fixing to
0: say that. Hmm. Because uh, I'm <inaudible> going to go smoke a cigarette and do something up here real quick. And so you've got about 20 minutes.
2: 30 35,
0: 35, 35, 35, right. 35, 35, 35, having a point. The team that shoots more mid-range jumpers because they're making more, which means they're gonna get more points. So you know, that guy who's sitting there doing that stupid little thing, he's looking for excuses to be able to shoot three. Well now you don't say the
2: fact he of the matter would... is if you make more two than you
0: do three and you make them at a larger rate
1: you you're going, win you're going have
2: more points. I don't care how many I think what well, Joey's trying to say is that line field line. goal
1: percentage trumps three-point attempts. That's what Joey's, try- Joey's argument is. Yeah, valid. but
2: what I'm saying and what NATO said, he would rather have them have shoot from tw- from 21 feet than take a shot from 18, 17, 18 feet. Yeah. Well, why does
1: it have to
0: be 18 feet? I mean, if you're making...
2: Uh, Oshem He made a living five to ten feet. He, ever in 20. 10. he has twenty point six. fifty five. Yeah, okay. layup uh, and dunk. Yeah, but yeah, Nelsa no, saying he, so, he would. The first thing he, he wants is a layup or a or, or a dunk. That's what he goes for first, and then a free throw. And If neither those two are available, he wants to kick it out beyond the three-point line, he wants to take that mid range 15, 20-foot jumper as the last case scenario. Layup first. Yeah, so uh, Layup uh, first. And then, one, then one, your free throws. Here's another interesting uh stat
0: for you. Everybody played the early three-pointer with Larry Bird. Because Larry Bird was the greatest shooter, always to the, the day, in the history of the game. Um, and so everybody who played the early three-point jump But then Larry Bird made his living mid-range. He only averaged two, I think it was 2.13 points attempts. attempts per game. And there were times he was averaged 20, 29 points. That's why people are saying, in Larry Bird's play day, And the soft,
2: touchy-feely, you know, never-touch-anybody NBA, he would
0: probably average a quadruple double. Because he was able to shoot that. His vision was better than probably anybody in NBA history overall. His feel for the game. You know? He had the size and everything. But he parlayed average athletic ability into one of the – greatest careers ever. Now, you add that, and that is he was nothing but you know, do the mid rank game, drive the length, get a layup, 15, 18-footer, 10-footer. He did his damage between 10 to get a layup or 10 to 18 feet. And that allowed him Know, all those passes that he did, that allowed him to do all those passes because as you know, it's like everybody was, you know, done for the jump shot. He would literally just dribble take one burning forward, step back, and somebody would be flat on their rear end. And this is from ten feet out. He'd be flat on their rear end, you just spot up, Like he was in uh like he was in warm ups. Because his defender was on his ass. And why? Because he has that mid range game. And then when he had made those passes, now they got to look out for the hats. Okay? That's why he was able to make those, tricks, you know, all the time, you know, over the person's head, you know, it's like you know, behind his back and everything. And then you just go for a shot and goes and it because he had that mid range game. Everybody thinks that this stuff happens. You know, simply because Larry Bird was just this, you know, great, long-range shooter. No, it happened because he had that mid-range game that he could not guard. Okay? So, and then when he did shoot the three, they said the greatest telling that Larry Bird was the most clutch player in NBA history is coming from Magic Johnson. You know, when uh, everybody knows the image of Magic making that size in games, I think was game six of the NBA finals to push it to the next game. The Celtics had one more possession. This is the one that didn't Okay. They said they went back to the bench and said, My God, what have we done? Because they left time on the clock. They knew Larry Bird was getting it. They knew Larry Bird was the most clutch player in the NBA history. To this day I think he still is. They said we're going to lose. That, that was their magic just made the shot. That was pretty, a great shot that put them in the lead with like a second left. Two seconds left, something like that. They said, we're going to lose. That was their attitude. Because Larry Bird, they thought Larry Bird was going to make that last shot. They knew he was getting it. They didn't think they could stop from making it. They had it no confidence that they could stop him from making that shot. But it rimmed out. Magic Johnson said that they got lucky. They got lucky on one of the most iconic moments in sports history because they thought they were going to lose. Because they thought Larry Bird was going to put a dagger in their heart. And it all stemmed that that was not just something Yes, it was a three. Yes, it did my out. It all stemmed from the mid range game. They had to look at him as a that developed because Larry Bird would hit anything inside of 18 feet. It, it didn't matter if you put two people on, three people on. You hit it. That was Larry Bird. But he was also so good from as a clutch player that. He actually told people, "I'm shooting this from there. I'm leaving this on the clock. This is what I'm doing." Then he it in your face. Magic Johnson said, "So what we know of Larry Bird as a clutch player is not by all the shots that he made in the clutch. It was because of the one he missed, and the one he missed filled them with more dread."
2: Than any
1: of them that
2: he made, because they felt that they were gonna lose the opportunity for a championship. All right, let's move on to our final two topics. The the and then the- I got I got a soon but here's what I want to talk about first. What What is y'all's opinion on Sakari Richardson being disqualified from from the one hundred meters because he failed a doping test for a for a a, mar- a marijuana, what's y'all's thoughts on that?
1: I think it's unfortunate. Think the, um, this is the Olympics. You think right? that Olympians that, that uh, tested positive for
0: uh, and they suspended all of them for a month? Yeah, yeah. That was, yeah.
1: That, uh, that's bullshit. Because so, Michael Phelps and yeah. Ryan Locke broke the rules too, and they were allowed to compete.
2: Like, they got busted for... Expanded. Like- they were
1: suspended as
2: well. As well. That, just, just the, side, I, I'm, the- I'm going to put this scenario out here for you. It's like I, I can
0: see myself in the room with the Olympic Committee on this thing. You know? they just a positive for pot. They're going to be a lot of happy fuckers. Okay? So we, we can't have them being happy. They're, they're going to be a little bit lazy than normal. You know, we, we, we can't have them having a competitive disadvantage. Uh, you know, it's not a competitive event; it's a competitive disadvantage, we can't have that, Yeah. You know, because we can't have a bunch of happy lazy fuckers sitting there running and doing Olympic stuff, you know, you know, kind of what they do, or
2: something like that. Here's something else to keep in mind, since this was an in-competition test, if she would have tested positive for it with an out-of-competition test, she would have been fine. It's not illegal under under World war Athletics, which is the governing body of a of a of track and field. But yes. since there was a but since there was an in-competition test, that's why she was say did say did say qualified. If it would have been out of competition, <laughs> she would have been fine.
1: Well, Trevor Bauer gets put on administrative leave for allegedly harassing a woman and this woman, she gets positive tested for marijuana during a competition, and she gets suspended. I feel like there are some double standards here, but I really don't want to dive into politics of it.
0: I I, I, I just go with the happy and lazy thing. You You know, because it's like, you can't have people too happy. You know, in the Olympics, okay? That That's just terrible. I mean, you can't have people too relaxed in the Olympics. You know, that, that'd be an absolutely awful thing to have, okay? You know, yeah, but, like, can't be yeah, like It's like this hothead. All those hippies, they love everybody, and you know, they, they well, just are like, they we can't have that. We cannot have happy and loving stuff going on.
2: Yeah, think there.
0: about
2: those, Joey. She knew, she knew it was a – she knew if she performed because she, she would be tested because it's a mandatory test. So they know all that stuff.
1: Austin FC also won their first home game in franchise history in the Major League Soccer on Thursday, and that was pretty much the final topic I had prepared. It was a good job in their 4-1 home win. I'm happy for Austin FC, and – I'm going to, we're going to wrap it up with this topic, unless Kerb's got some additional topics he wants to discuss before um, we end the call. Nope. Yeah. Uh, my, my entire thing on that last topic was, I wonder if
2: there's a one that
1: committee
0: did caught one in the eye. Yeah. If if anybody catches my drift on that Yeah. it's stupid. Okay? It's stupid. Okay? There is no competitive advantage to marijuana except, oh, it's going to loosen my muscles. I got that problem. Okay? It's going to make me actually be able to compete. It's going to make me happy. It's going to make me willing to get out there and do some more, you know, of what I love. Ooh. Okay. It's going to make me sit there and eat a couple of 20. It's going to make me sit there and eat a calzone. Uh, I, you know, so, okay. Now, they're able to compete. They're happy. They're relaxed. But they're a little lazy and they want calzone. Okay. Give me a pack of M M&M. and m okay. So the disadvantage there, because you know, well, that's where they went out to, you know, one, get they opened up the pack M and S down there. They M&M. want calzones, they want
1: chipotle, they want M and ms These are all temporary side effects of marijuana. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like I'm sorry, it's
0: like, what did you do before you went out there and ran and won the gold medal? Well, I smoked a joint, and I just scarfed down a pack of m and in, you know? Just gave me a little bit of a competitive advantage to give me that sugar rush. Okay, it, it was gone within 30 seconds, but, you know, I had it, and I had to fight some cramps because, you know, I didn't have the water I needed to with it, so, you know, but, you know, I persevered. Oh, okay, so the you know, smoking that joint actually didn't do anything, you know, of relevance. No, not really, no. It just made me pack on an next nice 400 calories. Okay, then. Next story. You know, come on, guys. Come on. Be realistic. This is not 1955 Russia under Stalin, okay? We're not looking at that as type of Olympic situation. 2021, you know what this stuff does.
1: It makes you eat. And marijuana's legal it's in the right. NFL yeah. now, so why can't it be legal in the Olympics?
0: It, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, it's it, the growing legalization is going there. There is no competitive advantage, no competitive disadvantage. Well, there may be a competitive disadvantage because somebody might decide to eat a cow's before running a 500 meter. But which I would not recommend, whether you're high or not, because that type of heat and that type of breeze—they just—they just—I—I I, I had some PC yesterday. Had to work within 20 minutes. My stomach was all messed up. So I would not recommend that in any way. But you know, but other than that, you know, it's like there's nothing. It's a non-issue. Let the PC run. It's not a big deal. Okay? They're splinters. They win back. Okay? It's what they do. Let them do it. They're the best in the world at it. Stay out of their bone pipe. Okay? It's it's none of your concern. There is no competitive advantage. There is no competitive disadvantage. There is nothing except outdated. Nonsense. Okay? From a time when the world was cracking down on hippies. Yeah, because the hippie movie started in the United States and it came over from India, more refined. So the Indians were cracking down, the Middle East was cracking down on it, Europe was cracking down on it, the United States was cracking down on it. It's it's, antique. Is an antique notion. Okay. Now, here's a modern-day equivalent. I'll give you a modern-day equivalent here. The hippie movement. After the United States pretty much ran everybody out, they went back to India. They were fine. You know what it's called now in the United States? It's called sidecrank. Okay. Are you telling me somebody goes to a sidecrank event, has a great time, spiritual, winky, peace, love, everything that goes with it. Peace and love. That's what the Olympics are about. Peace and love. They, have it coming. they sit there and they pound the drum, which I've done before, and it makes your hands hurt for days. You know, they pound the drums for two hours. They dance, they sing, they love life. They buy shirts at work that are loud and joyous and boisterous. Then they go take a drug test the next day and they say, we don't need love. In the Olympics. We do not need people in the Olympics. We need people in the Olympics. Really. I thought that was what it was all about. But we do not need it because that is the way it was done 17 years ago, 80 years ago. 80 years ago what they do best. Let them bring the peace. Let them bring the love. Let them bring the work. Let them put the glitter in their hair. Let them stand out. Let them stand out. Let them be Olympians. Let them bring everything the Olympics are supposed to bring. I don't care if they get a long time, a joint, a phone. You know, I don't care if, you know, they've
1: got this big freaking wrap the size. Of
0: you know what? Attach the okay.
1: marijuana to the medals. Give the athletes yeah. and it's an additional incentive to compete for the medals. Yeah. So
0: it's like, it's like, it's not the big deal. Okay. antiquated. The Olympians are Olympians. They're the best at what they do, and to have them punished for it, for what is essentially saying something that you bring you enjoy happiness and it really helps move that along, it's just a disgrace. At this point, with what we know about it and what a lot of people don't know that there is more to it than that. Yeah, you you have your donors and their mom's face. Yeah, that that's a thing. But for the most part, no, it's not a thing. You know, it helps people to live life. It helps make you happy, And isn't the joy and the love all that the Olympics are about? So you're, the Olympic Committee, I don't even think they're smart enough to realize when they do this, they are going against the very tenets that the Olympics are about. And because they don't do their research. They don't care. And that is what you have to look at. Not the actual event, not actually what happened, is that the Olympic Committee does not believe in the tenants that the Olympics are supposed to uphold. And that's what you have to look at. Let them run. Let them compete because right now the Olympics looks like a bunch of
1: dogshines. Yeah, they don't drug test the athletes the Nathan's hot dog eating contest, and that event's a bigger uh, joke than the Olympics. So, but yeah, I'm picking Joey Chestnut to win tomorrow.
2: That's a, that's a bold Good strategy, Cotton. <laughs>
1: So you're taking the field over Joey Chessna. No. you being sarcastic, making fun of me for picking Joey Chessna. Making
2: fun. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, see, yeah, I think, yeah, I
1: don't
0: know.
1: What saying, so. We were talking about the Nathan's Hot Dog yeah. Eating Contest. That's tomorrow. And I made a joke saying it's a bigger joke than the Olympics with their drug testing policies. And then I said Joey Chestnut or the field. I took Joey Chestnut and then Perp replied, that's a bold strategy cotton referencing dodgeball. Okay. I, I, I never followed the eating contest, so I have nothing to say to that. Yeah, it's it's the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. It's every year on the 4th of July. That is tomorrow at noon on ESPN. So I'm taking Joey Chestnut over
2: the field. Yeah, I think the record, he said like 80 hot dogs in 10 minutes.
1: I'll say he eats 76 in 10 minutes.
2: Who knows? Who cares? Well, last time I I cared about
0: hot dog eating, or, uh now this is one place where I think marijuana testing should be done because as like it's like I was saying before, you know, you smoke a joint, what do you have? You got the munch you know how many hot dogs you can eat off a bomb. Okay, you smoke a bone, you go into that hot dog eating contest, it's like bitch your mind. I got you. And then they now what would really make the competition though that just makes it fair. Before the hot dog competition, every competitor needs to smoke a ball. Okay. That way, you know you're getting a competition. Because these guys are going to be
2: eating them some hot dogs at that point. Okay. I mean, Joey Chestnut could push there, for
1: 100 hot dogs if he was on a whole bong of marijuana before the competition. I honestly
2: think
1: you could push yeah, off for a push for a hundred and ten minutes if
0: you yeah, put him on like, marijuana. Like, yeah, it's like I, I'm not talking just a head. I'm talking about all of them just smoke their own individual one, and they go out there and they are like, okay, we want competitive disadvantage. We just eliminated the, the competitive disadvantages of marijuana because we just put everybody up on what it is. one of food steroids. Okay, and we just hyped this thing up to a new level. And everybody's going to be doing it. Now, I would not want to be in person who has to deal with the maintenance of the Florida Party after this competition. But I would say it would be the latest hot dog eating competition that there has ever been. Because these guys would be high. They wouldn't even need the water to get this stuff down quick. Okay. They just shove that stuff in their face. They get it eaten and it would be gone. Okay. So, you know, it's like for the hot dog eating competition
2: tomorrow,
0: just have everybody smoke bone before the competition starts. It's the greatest hot dog eating competition ever that there's ever been.
1: I wish they would televised Beer Fest in October on ESPN. Have the people that are in the hot dog eating contest compete in Beer Fest. Bring them back in October for a Beer Fest competition. Because beer Fest is like a ritual worldwide. They made a movie about it, too, called Beer Fest. Yeah. I wish there would be more Beer Fest stuff in
0: Jacksonville. That'd be fun but they don't.
2: Yeah.
0: But, but, yeah, it, it is, it is, and it's really, yeah. uh, a really cool thing, though. You know, it is. That they do. And, yeah, you know, everybody seems to love it.
1: Yeah, I have not heard one complaint about Beer Fest. They think it's a really cool holiday, very empowering holiday, too, so.
0: yeah, it's very empowering. I feel
1: incredibly empowered every
0: day I celebrate Beer Fest, which is every day.
1: Right. And on that note, do we have any more topics before we end this podcast? I don't. No, I've already
0: I've already walked all the way through downtown Jacksonville over Riverside, I'm walking back down downtown Jacksonville. I think I have shit most of those things. The only thing I don't get the boat right.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to let Kerm get yeah, back to down right now. because I think Kerm's about to do something with his family or he's busy or whatever. So I'm going to end the call for all of our sakes. And I'm probably going to try to set up the Teespring store to Facebook because uh, you can connect the Teespring store through your Facebook account. I'm going to try and figure that out today. 48. All right.